We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. to the Making Queer History podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about Tamara de Lampica. One of our favorite people to talk about, I think. I'm actually really super excited for this one, specifically because as I was rereading the article just to like brush up to do this podcast, I realized, I was like, oh, this is a two-parter. So, you know, clearly there was so much that happened in her life that I had to split it into two parts. And I was rereading it and I was like, wait, I, I, I've the first part of this article. I, I've I've heard about her entire life. She she died. So what's the second part? The second article is literally me just ranting about how poorly she is treated by historians and by the critics of art and all that kind of stuff. And by the people who live like the current artists, the current artists while she was alive. Exactly. And I got super bitter and I loved it. But also it was just like, it was just really funny because I was like, oh yeah, this is just going to be like a two-parter because I had so much to say. I did have so much to say, not as much about her life, a lot more about her legacy and how people talk about her. So get excited for us to talk about that because we're definitely going to be diving into it. We're just going to rant for like three hours straight. I think that's what we do in almost every podcast episode. Pretty much. Yeah. But before we dive into Tamara's Lumpika, do you have any... uh cool things to talk about. Um, I've said this in a couple of podcast episodes before, but we're just going to reiterate it just so anyone who's new or who, you know, hasn't listened to the podcast for a little while is on the same page. So right now, podcast is coming out on the 13th of every month. In December, we were a couple days late. This will be a bit later for anyone who's not a patron because also um, they come out a month earlier for patrons. So if you want to hear a podcast right away, become a patron. Very exciting. But either way, it came out for the general public a couple days later than expected because me and Will got married. We did. And that's really exciting. Yeah, we're about, we're literally a week married right now. Yes. So congratulations to us. Go team me and Will. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's exciting news. Um, but yeah, so you can listen to our this podcast on the 13th of every month. A new episode will be up. It'll be on Podbean, Google Play, iTunes. That's, I think, all we have it on so far. If you have any other suggested ones, just email us in. You can email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. You can also find all of the podcast episodes on our website. Yes, they're on our website. You should definitely check out our website in general, www.makingqueerhistory.com. From there, you can find all our social medias, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, and our Tumblr. You, I think that's all we have. Yeah, you can also find our, our Patreon, where you yes. can support us. You can find out how to give us a one-time donation. Mm-hmm. You can find our shop, and you can also, and get excited for this, you can also buy a calendar. Yes. So all of our patrons can buy a calendar right now. I'm not sure if it's actually going to still be up by the rest of the time like the general public gets us actually. Because like I might take it down after January because it does cost money to be selling these. It, it does take a cost the longer it goes on. So it might be down for the general public. But for patrons, this is still going on. So definitely check our website out for that. It's a really cool calendar. It has all the birth dates and death dates of every single person we've written about. 
Um, it has a whole bunch of anniversaries. It has a whole bunch of really important dates in queer history. It has Asexual Awareness Month or LGBT History Month for the UK and for Canada and the US. And it just has a whole bunch of like different cool things that you can find out and you can mark the days and see um, when those days occur. And we also have a whole bunch of graphics for the pictures. Many of the graphics aren't actually sold anywhere else. So you should definitely check out that calendar. It's amazing. I was really excited about making it and I'm really excited to sell it. I'm really excited to have it. When Will eventually gets it because Will's getting it last. Of all the people, Will's getting it last. It's always me last. Yeah. Folks. Yep. You know, you don't have to accuse us of any, like, favoritism to Will. That's no, gonna be nice. No, it never happens. It doesn't happen. Will doesn't get anything before the patrons. It's really sad. Will's very pathetic about it. That's true. So, um, yeah, you can become a patron at our Patreon www.patreon.com slash queerhistory. Our Patreon's doing really well right now. You should definitely become a patron though because there's some amazing, amazing rewards like stickers or tote bags or notebooks or getting this podcast episode early or taking part in polls that we do every month just to see like what designs we put up on our shop, what direction we're going to go in, all this exciting stuff. You also get to see behind the scenes things. You get to see pictures of our cats. You get to see fun stories that Laura will tell. Exactly. There's a lot of cool things happening at our Patreon. At our Patreon right now, uh, we have Lens going, which is like Instagram stories, but for Patreon. And I have put up a little thing just to get people excited about the podcast and a whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff that if you're not a patron, you don't get to see. Yeah, so become a Patreon if not to support us to see cool things and pictures of cats. Exactly. Those are great, great reasons to become a patron. And this is a like, thank you to all our current patrons. We really appreciate all of y'all. And you really help us make good quality content. Exactly. And as the end of the year approaches, we want to thank you. Yeah, as Will said, you are what keeps us going and what makes this podcast possible and what makes the articles possible. And we're really excited to enter an entirely new year with all of you behind us because you're all amazing. And for those who are patrons, you're going to be getting this. And the article that will be out is the 18 nice queer stories of 2018. It's probably gonna have a better title than that because I'm not finished writing it actually. But you're going to get that. And the rest of y'all, the general public who are not patrons, will have already gotten it. But it'll be 18 really nice queer stories that happened in 2018 because 2018 has been a year. A year. It has been 2018, but it's yes. also been a year. It's been really tough for a lot of people, and there's been a lot of stuff going on that aren't good things. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. Um, but we looked at some of the best stories from 2018. By best, we mean nicest. We mean nicest. And we're just, yeah, we were excited to write that, and we're very excited to share it with you. And also, March is coming up, which means that this will be the project's third anniversary i think third anniversary yeah. yeah that sounds right so if you have any suggestions on how we can celebrate that we are going to be celebrating the anniversary on march 4th which is the day i started the project which coincidentally not coincidence at all is also my birthday i started the project on my birthday little known fact about me well known fact about me let's be honest uh i like doing things a lot and i love writing and so i wanted to celebrate my birthday by writing an article and putting it up and that's how this whole shenanigan started with yeah. Sappho. And so on Ma March 4th, send us congratulations on the part project and send us congratulations on Laura being older. Yes, I will be 
older. I will be yes. old by that point. So old. I'm very excited for it. So I think those are the most exciting news that are happening. Yes, and I think we can probably just jump into the meat of the podcast. Tamara DiLampica. We're jumping in earlier than we usually do just because I am so excited to talk about this woman because I have so much to say about what she went through and how people betray it because I have feelings, y'all. I have feelings. Get ready to listen to Laura. Exactly. I feel like that's how we should start the podcast now. Yeah. Throw out like, hi, this is Will. Hello, this is Laura. I don't know how we start this. But like, and be like, hey, everyone, it's time to listen to Laura. I feel like that's like what our poor friends have to deal with though. Yes, it's a good title though, Listen to Laura. Listen to Laura. Good title. That is a good title. So if anyone wants to hear a separate podcast where I just rant to you about things I want to rant to you about, like hyenas or Langston Hughes versus William Shakespeare in a battle, um, just, just email us in, tell me, maybe one day you'll have Listen to Laura the podcast. I'm so excited. That's... I'm, I'm going to listen to it, but it's also my everyday. It is Will's everyday. The poor, poor hey, person. I'm excited. Has to put up with constant. You know, you, you all have to hear me for about like an hour once a month. But Will like just has to hear like this morning, I went in a really in-depth rant about the history of this music album that I've been enjoying and how like religion plays a part and how like queerness plays a part and how they're all these layers. And Will just had to listen to that. For like 45 minutes. I learn something new every day. But like also we, we're we packing to go visit family. So we had other stuff to do. So Will just had to sit and listen to me talk about the Mormon church or LDS and the church of LDS. And just like sit there and listen to me like discuss the history of the church. And like the new policies that are being put in. And just like stuff like that. So you know send Will your good vibes. <laughs> I'm enjoying myself for sure. Okay. You know who wasn't enjoying herself though? Who? Tamara de Lampica. Tamara de Lampica. Do you know what? Tamara de Lampica did enjoy herself quite okay, a bit. Okay, I apologize. Though. She was like, she was, she wasn't a sad person. I'm really bitter about a lot of things about her, but she wasn't like a sad story. So tell us about Tamara de Lampica. All right. Tamara de Lampica was born in Warsaw, Poland in 1898. And she was born to a rich Russian mother and a middle-class Jewish father. And at that point, things were getting a little bit shaky in Russia. Not everything bit. was easy, as, as people who know history know. Um, some stuff was coming up in Russia, some big historical moments. She was married when she was 16, I believe. Yeah. She was married to a lawyer when she was 16. He was a poor lawyer who married her in part because of her dowry, which was very large. She was a rich one and he was a poor one. He was like, hmm. Well, I'm not, I like, I'm not gonna, actually, do you know what? I know how that ends up. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna drag him. Yeah, he probably married her for her money. And he, yeah. His name was Tadeusz Limpiki. Yeah. And they were, I believe, together for two or three years. And then the Russian Revolution happened. Woo! Exciting! So, the Russian Revolution happened. Her family hightailed it out of there because they were like, Ooh, we're rich. This is not a great time to be on the upper, upper class in Russia. Let's let's head out. But um, she decided to stay with her husband. Unfortunately, that resulted in their home being raided in the middle of the night. Literally, while the married couple were in the middle of sex and her husband being a dragon drug away right and here's the first point of contention with me and how people talk about her story because her she's 
At this point, 19 years old, her husband gets dragged away in the middle of the night in this horrible position because, like, that's a really vulnerable state to be in. And, like, guards came into her home and took a whole bunch of her stuff. And so she wanted to get her husband out of jail, obviously, because obviously, right? Yes. Yes. So she goes and runs to Swedish officials. And this is where... (laughs) so bitter about this. Everyone's like, oh yeah, she used her charm and flirted her way into getting her husband out of jail. And it like makes it sound like a cool heist spy movie where like she's wearing this like black dress and this really big hat and like this bright red lipstick. And she's like a femme fatale, like walking her way into this ready to like destroy men or like the patriarchy or whatever. What really happened is she was a scared 19 year old girl who was forced to have sex with Swedish officers because they wouldn't let her husband go otherwise. That's, that's not good. That's not nice. Mm, that's, that's not good. And that's not, that's not like a really cool hashtag feminist moment. That's a horrible thing a human being would have to go through. Like she was in a very privileged point in that time. And I'm not going to talk about the Russian revolution because that's, that's not what we're doing today. But she was in like a really, really privileged place at that moment. And then like changed very drastically to a very non-privileged place. And she was put in this place of risk that she had never been in before. And she, she literally like her husband wasn't let go until she had to have sex with officers who were not 19 year old girls who had their husbands taken away in the middle of the night. So they should have been making better choices than forcing 19 year old girls who had their husbands taken away in the middle of the night while they were having sex to have sex with them. Like, I feel like there could have been better decisions made. And I personally want to fight every single officer who's involved in that moment because how horrible do you have to be to do that to a human being? Like, and again, all of these articles and stories, because, you know, they don't want to be frank with you. They don't want to be like, oh yeah, she slept with them. They're like, oh yeah, she flirted and used her charm. And they make it sound like it's some empowering moment or even some like seductive moment or even some like, oh, she's a wicked temptress moment. When really she was a 19 year old girl. Probably really scared. Who was terrified and couldn't get her husband out of prison unless she slept with Swedish authorities. Which is a position no one should ever be put into. And like she was alone. Her family was gone. It was just her. It was just her. And eventually though she got her husband out of prison. Let's move on to the next thing before I dive into these rants too far. And they were went to Paris. Very exciting. They dropped by Copenhagen and London, so they were like a little little road trip. And then they ended up in in uh, they ended up in Paris with almost nothing to their name. All of their things had been taken away in the revolution, and they had nothing. Her husband was not able to hold down a job. Her child was a child. Uh, she sold a whole bunch of her jewelry just to get them to that point and tried to keep selling it to make rent and exist as a human being. So she began painting. And in this time in France, men were being pretentious. Aren't they always? Hot take. Hot take. Men were being pretentious and specifically middle class men were pretending or putting themselves into situations on purpose to be poor so that they could mock the middle class a bit more efficiently. And they they were looking down their nose. These men who could remove themselves from this situation at any time were looking down their nose at this poor woman who had been forced out of her t- country, had everything taken from her. Because do you know what she did? She took commissions, which means she's not a real artist. I'm so mad right now. 
Like, I'm so mad. Didn't you know? Only real artists who who just paint whatever the, they want to paint are, are actually good. They're the only ones. Because if you ask for money for your work, then you're really a sellout. Yeah, you're not really in it for the art. It's not like, you know, Michelangelo did commissions or Leonardo da Vinci. And it wasn't like, you know, everyone who's worth anything did commissions at some point or sold their art or did something to make their art slightly more popular you know the one that everyone talks about when they're like oh yes the artist who was forgotten van gogh yeah he sold his art too yep. he tried to make it more commercial too he, he really really wanted to make money because you need money to live what a concept exactly but because this woman needed money to live they were like you're you're bourgeois this poor this poor refugee was bourgeois whatever 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 i have feelings as she tried to support herself and her child and eventually she worked 12 hour days and she became enough to support her child and husband her jobless husband and she like got a lot of wealth and she actually became rich the rich thing that they were looking down on so you know she got to that point eventually good for her yeah because she worked really really hard to get there and i'm not saying capitalism is good but i'm also saying let's not mock a woman who was a refugee and penniless in france trying to support her only child and her husband as the sole breadwinner of the household because she wanted to live in luxury a little bit because can we really judge that I mean, who doesn't want to, like, we all want a really pretty bath bomb. We all want it. We all want the little pretty shit. We know. Yeah. We know what we're about. And that's okay. It's completely normal to want to be secure. And then later she became wealthy. And as she became wealthy, she became very, like, partying. She enjoyed her life. She was young still. Like, yeah. she was probably around, like, 20 something yeah she was like in her 20s i mean have you met a person in their 20s they're wild <laughs> they're having a great time and she was partying and she was sleeping with men and sleeping with women and eventually her husband left her because of this even though he was also sleeping with um other people outside but that's its own thing not gonna judge the relationship outside of that he sucked uh that's a do you know what he sucked it's not yeah, about yeah, their no, relationship you're right. he sucked you're as right. a person you're right um but <laughs> So she slept with people, she enjoyed the high flying life, she went to clubs, she went to America, she just, you know, she got remarried, and yeah. She took really good care of her daughter while doing this. Yes. And all this time people kept criticizing her, you know? Because, well, because she showed queer people in her art, for one, because she took from commissions for another and because you know she made a lot of money off of this and they're like oh, it's not good art if people like it she also painted a lot of women yes she and painted a lot of women who are in control and autonomous beings in the paintings which wasn't something that everyone approved of and she also painted women who were in relationships with other women yeah and she focused on that a lot and like Personally, I think her art is really good. I think it's pretty. And we're not art critics. I'm not here to say that, like, artistically, it's the best painting in the world. Because I don't know that. I'm not a... I don't know anything about art history. But I do know when someone's being sexist. And let's talk about another person who existed in this time who also really enjoyed, you know, parties and sleeping with people and, you know, just like having a lot of decadence and living in this really capitalistic lifestyle. Scott F. Fitzgerald, or F. Scott Fitzgerald, because here is Tamara de Lempica, who is vastly criticized for her indulgence in herself. And then let's look at F. Scott Fitzgerald. One of these people abused their spouse. 
It was not Tamara the Lumpy Ego. And one of these was highly criticized for being a bad person. It was not Scott Fitzgerald. It was not Fitzgerald. It was not. So the way people look at her life really frustrates me. But let's continue looking at it ourselves. So Second World War began. Yes. And she was one of the people who early on, because she was a Jewish woman, she early on started seeing the signs and she was much more aware of what was going to happen than a lot of other people. And she tried to come back to France, but she wasn't able to. So she had to smuggle her daughter out of France and go to America with her. Yeah, she tried really hard to get her daughter away safely and it was a struggle, but they managed to retrieve safely to the States, which is good. Yes. And during the time of the war, she was still economically in a fine place, but her husband died. And it was also the Second World War, which wasn't a fun time Mm-mm. for most people. And it was a really difficult time for her as well. And she began painting more poor people and refugees and things like that. And of course, all the critics who had criticized her previously for not painting people who weren't rich decided to criticize her for painting poor people because apparently in their eyes they, she had no understanding of being poor even though she was literally a poor refugee in France who was penniless and had to sell her jewelry to make rent. But whatever, that's another issue because apparently she didn't understand poorness because she she didn't draw them as dirty. Yeah, you know, you know, she just like, she doesn't degrade them so how could she understand it? Exactly. She doesn't make it a pity festival so she clearly doesn't understand it and again, I'm not an art critic I don't know all of the history behind this. So if there's a correction to give, but I can say that for a woman who herself was incredibly poor and who was a refugee and who moved on to live a very decadent lifestyle of luxury and of beautiful things and of, okay, let's be honest, a little superficial things, the idea that you wanted to draw poor people as beautiful maybe didn't come from a bad place. Can we at least agree Um. on that? Yeah. It didn't come up from a place of ignorance of being poor because she had been poor. She had gone through that. I think she knew what he was and knew what she would have wanted. That's my best guess, at least. And you know what? Maybe her story isn't what the people of lower class at the time wanted. And that's fair. But she used her experience to inform her choices, like most artists do. And she was criticized highly. And eventually there was a disastrous art showing and she stopped painting after that. And then people criticized her for stopping painting. Because they said she was spoiled, even though <sighs> there was probably a little bit more going on in her life because they've they've this frustrated me so much because they separated the fact that World War II was going on, she was a Jewish woman, her husband had just died, she had to smuggle her child out of Paris. She <laughs> was being intensely criticized for her art for trying to depict an experience she had gone through. And they've separated that from the fact that she had a disastrous art showing. So instead of saying, all these things happened before, and then she had a disastrous art show, they say, she had a disastrous art show, and in a temper tantrum, she stopped painting. When there was a couple extra factors, yeah, maybe. Yeah, there were, there were a few more steps. There are a few more steps there. This is not first thought, best thought. No. Is, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. Exactly. And, but anyways, either way, she stopped painting for a little while. She um, moved to Texas with yeah. her daughter, uh, sold everything she had, and then moved south. Mm-hmm. And then she just stayed there. 
Yeah, she stayed there, though she did get to see her work rise again in popularity as time passed and as people, you know, saw it for the first time or experienced it with different eyes. She saw her work rise again in popularity, even though it's still seen, even now, as, like, very... Even though it's still seen as frivolous work, it did rise in popularity and it entered pop culture. You've probably seen a lot of uh, Tamara de Limpica works. Even if you don't really recognize it, I know Mm -hmm. I... You showed me some pictures when you were writing this article, yeah. and I was like, oh, I've seen, like, so many of these on, like, book covers from mm-hmm. the 20s. Um, specifically, there's one that was in the cover of Great Gatsby. Yes. And uh, we, we read that, mm-hmm. but no one really talked about Tamara the Lumpica, but mm-hmm. we, we, we read it in school, and that was yeah. the copy they gave us. Yeah. So, her work grew in popularity exponentially, and you've actually, yeah, again, you've probably seen it, but she ended up dying at the age of 80... She died in 1980, so she was 82. She was 82, and she died in 1980. And she had lived a long life, a very loving daughter, being able to see her work move back into popularity. Um, She's also seen as really the creator or driving force in the Art Deco movement that existed in painting, because Art Deco is much interior design thing than a painting thing. So she's seen in this really intense person who did art deco in painting instead of just interior design. She also loved art deco in her homes and stuff like that, but she was a big person in the creation of the art deco movement. That's really cool. Yeah. I feel like she was really influential, even though people don't really talk about her. She just, like, had all these little little influences. She definitely did. And people don't talk about her for a reason. The reason is, she's a woman. And she was a woman who didn't yeah, she, who just unapologetically was a woman. Exactly. And also, she fit into a lot of stereotypes of bad women that existed at the time and still exist today. She slept with a lot of people. She liked expensive, beautiful things. She was decadent. She partied a lot. She she enjoyed enjoying herself. She put her daughter in front of her husband. And these are a lot of things that society likes to look upon as bad because they're wicked and wrong and goes against, I don't know, whatever moralistic ideals that society has put up at the time for women. But at the same time, we have to look at the fact that she also existed without much need for men for a very long time. Her husband, her first husband, didn't do much for her, especially when they were poor in Paris. He wasn't very useful. So she painted her way out. She painted her way out of poverty And then later she showed that she didn't need her husband by sleeping with other people and by when her husband left her, moving on and marrying another person. And she didn't really need the approval of art critics because she kept painting, even though over and over again art critics pointed out that she was decadent and wicked and terrible because she painted women as autonomous beings. Wild concept. How how dare she? Or she painted the poor as too clean. Like... Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that either. Um, I have just so many feelings about this. But she was seen as all these things by men, and she didn't really care. She like was, she was good. She was like, all right, okay. I'm having a good time. I'm painting. I'm doing something that I love. I'm taking care of my daughter. I'm in a place secure that is not 
in need of a man. She she didn't, like, I know this is, like, some huge, like, sort of, like, I don't know if it's a stereotype, but, like, a cliche where it's, like, I don't need no man. She didn't need a man. She, she really didn't. got herself out of poverty. She did marry a man to get a, herself out of poverty, unlike her husband, who had to marry a woman to get him out of poverty. Mm-hmm. But no shade. No shade. No I, shade. I feel like there's, there's this quote that mm-hmm. you used in the beginning of your article. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's such a good quote for Tamara. And it is, I live life in the margins of society, and the rules of normal society don't apply to those who live on the fringe. And I feel like it's so very much who she is, and mm-hmm. how she defined herself in the society at the time. Mm-hmm. Of like, she she wasn't gonna listen to people. Mm-hmm. She She got shit for it. My apologies. She got poor reactions for it, but she didn't really care. See, that was an interesting thing. And this is like some of my favorite female artists uh, have this in common in that at some point they realize, oh, they're never going to be happy. They're never going to be happy with what I'm putting forward. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, keep going then. I'm just like, if they're never going to be happy, then I'm going to stop trying to make them happy. And Tamara Dilampika did work with that for a very long time. Again, we, we mentioned how she did stop painting after a while. And there were a lot of factors that played into that. But obviously the criticism did as well. Because when you're criticized your entire life, of course it's going to affect you. Yeah. But at the same time, she made so much work in her life. And one of the best known pieces of work she did is called The Auto Portrait which has her in front of a car staring directly at the viewer, which is something that was kn- her work was known for, that the women were staring directly at you. They weren't pushing their gaze away or looking away. They were staring at you. They were looking at you as if they were, you know, making eye contact, as if they were challenging you, as some people put it. And I think that's a really good piece of art to look at if you want to look at Tamara de Limpica. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about her art, if that's sort of more the style that you're interested in, you should definitely check out and start with Auto Portrait. That's one of my favorites and that's one of her most well-known pieces. I feel like Tamara de Limpica is one of the people I would love to go back in time to hang out with. Yes, I agree. I feel like I'd want to hang out with her for like three nights. I don't think I could keep up with her. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. But just like hang out with her for like a night or two. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Or just like have her be like a side friend. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not sure I could keep up with her, but I could definitely enjoy the fact that she existed and just like, went for it. Meet her like once a month. Yeah. And, and like, just like hear all the stories. Drink together and then like be done. Exactly. But either way, that was Tamara de Limpica's life. She has this amazing legacy of art that you should definitely check out if you ever have the time. And you definitely learn more about her because I think she's a really underappreciated artistic talent and a really underappreciated artist in general. Just because there's a lot of, I think prejudice when people talk about her and talk about her life and her work. I really, I really think so too. And I think she deserves a lot better. Exactly. So check out Tamara de Limpica and see that amazing uh, bisexual artist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all we have for that. Yeah. Uh, so let's move into the third portion of this podcast. The one in which we recommend things, also known as Wrecking the Queers. We recommend queer projects, either with queer creators or with just queer elements of it. Um, It's different than our project of the month, which is being reworked right now, in that we don't contact the creators. We just talk about things that we've seen that have queer elements to it, and we get excited about it. Like music we've listened to, or movies we've watched, or books we've read, or etc. Yeah. And so, this time... 
I'm going to talk about a video game. Uh, I don't think... Well, no, we've done Arcana, which isn't quite a video game. It is sort of a video game? Sort of. It's a visual novel. Yeah, okay, that's a better way to put it. But either way, Will's going to talk about a video game, so I'm just going to blank out. Yeah, you don't don't care about video games. games. I, I care about them as a concept, but I don't play them, and I think... That they're not my favorite thing. Completely fair. No judgment. They're an art form. They are. I just don't care about the particular art form. Go ahead. This is a game that I'm... Or it's a game series that I, I have played a bit of. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I have just watched playthroughs and Let's Plays. Mm-hmm. And one, I love the story so much. And it's just like such an incredible journey. But it also has like a decent amount of queer characters. Especially for a video game. Mm-hmm. So it's by uh, a Norwegian game developer uh, called Red Thread Games. And this game series is called Dreamfall. The first game, it's a trilogy with the first game being called The Longest Journey. Second game being called Dreamfall. And the third game is Dreamfall Chapters, I believe it's called. And it's a really interesting story. It's about magic and science sort of coexisting in, in separate worlds. And that, like, you need a balance, and you have a lot of cool main characters. And it's just, like, a really interesting story about stories that intertwine and people that sort of affect each other's lives without actually meeting. Mm-hmm. And I just find it incredibly fascinating. Also, while the first game is incredibly, like, it came out in the late 90s, I think. So the graphics aren't the best, but they really improve, and the news game is is so pretty. Mm-hmm. So incredibly beautiful. But yeah, so uh, one of the characters, his name is Kian. Possibly spoilers, if you don't want to know this, feel free to skip ahead, mm-hmm. if you plan to play it. Uh, but Kian... At if you make the right choices, or if you make some certain choices throughout the game, he comes out as gay. And they talk about it a lot. And it's very, very loud ways of talking about it. It's not like a, a throwaway sentence or they mention it after you finish the game. But they're like, him and another male character actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. And this other male character is like, well, how can you be How can you be gay? And, and Ken's like, well, I just am. Like, it is what it is. We don't treat it differently. It just exists. And I'm like, I almost cried. Yeah. It happened and I almost cried. There is also another queer couple. And it was just, like, so refreshing to see it. Because you meet this character, she's more of a side character. But she is really cool and badass. And then you're like, she has really bright pink hair. And I'm like, hmm, she could probably be a queer woman. (laughs) And then you see her kiss her girlfriend. And you were like, whoa. So it's a really enjoyable game. And most of the queer representation only exists in the third game. So, like, that's where the best parts are. I enjoyed the two first as well. But the best parts are in the third one. So if you're just in it... For the for the queer rep, check out the third game. It's called Dreamfall Chapters. All right, so that is our recommendation of the month. Yeah, if you're a video game person, that is. If you're a video game person, which most people are, most people like video games. That's true. Not to say that I'm not like other people. Oh my god, but I'm not like other people. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like I, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I do have like a little controversial interest. Like, I don't like chocolate. I don't particularly like Harry Potter. I don't like Star Wars. I don't like video games. I don't like marshmallows. Yeah, you're... I don't like graham crackers. Terrible. I I don't like sweets in general. Sweets aren't my thing. Like, sometimes I'll have them, but very rarely. You don't like pop. I don't like pop. I don't like dolphins. I feel like I I really don't like some very controversial not-to-like things. I Um, feel like I have some harsh opinions on some very well-loved things. If you ever send us hate mail about things that Laura don't like, we'll read it 
on Wreck the Queers. Yes, we'll read it if you send us hate mail on the terrible things that I don't like. Um, we'll also we'll read any mail, probably like most of the mail you send us, we'll probably read. Mm-hmm. So just send us email, folks. Or like tell me that you agree, because I don't know many people who at this point are like, I do not like Harry Potter. Most people are like, ooh, the new series is sort of like so much worse. And I'm like, yeah, worse, sure. And it, it gets me some side eye. <laughs> and then people be like, oh, the new Star Wars films. I have like a hot take on it. I don't like this element. And I'm like, I've never liked any of them. And they're like, oh, we don't want to talk to you. Do you know what I do like, though? Do you know what? Here's a really popular thing that I do like, especially in nerd culture. Lord of the Rings. Solid choice. I like Lord of the Rings. I think it's great. What about The Hobbit? I never watched past the first one. Fair and enough. I only watched the first one. And I have this beautiful memory of the beginning scene where you hear the music, Old Friends by Howard Shore, which was beautiful. And it was like all the themes of the um, original Lord of the Rings films. And then the scene with Bilbo Baggins peeking up over the, the, the trees and seeing this gorgeous, gorgeous landscape. That's all I remember. That's all I want to remember. I'm never watching them. I've heard terrible things about the ones that come after that. I'm happy with what I took from it. Then I'm leaving. Hot take. Yeah. The first scene in the first Hobbit movie is yeah. the best scene of the entire franchise. I don't know enough, of, like, in, in the entire franchise... A Hobbit franchise. How, I, I'm not, to not Lord of the Rings. Because I was like, um, what about that one time that Legolas took down an entire elephant? Yeah, no, you're absolutely for, right. For no reason. The, to be extra. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you. That is also a really solid scene. What about the time he um, skateboards oh down the gosh, stairs? Oh my gosh, the skateboarding one. That is so good. Like, as a child, I remember watching that and just being, like, blown away. It's interesting because my mom was... If I remember correctly, and my mom might, my mom listens to this, so she might correct me ne- the next time we talk. But um, my mom was pregnant when we, when Return of the King came out with my little sister, really cute kid. My little sister is amazing. Anyways, pregnant with my little sister, and we went to the Return of the King. I think three times because my mom was like, I, I feel like the baby will like come out just out of like this movie so long. <laughs> It's the most inconvenient time for a baby to be born. So, like, but it didn't end up happening. But I did end up going to see Lord of the Rings three times, the last one, in the theater. And everyone's like, oh, the ending's so long. And it's so unnecessary. And no, you it's know what? perfect. You know what? You can you can battle me. There are like I'm going to skateboard down the stairs. <laughs> there are and like I'm four endings. You. And it's perfect. And that's as many endings as I wanted. I was so happy. Right? Each one, I'm just sobbing. It's fine. Do you know what? Everyone, you can at me. I like the endings. Same though. So, email us, queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com about how I like the ending of Return of the King. I hate Star Wars. I don't hate Star Wars. I dislike Star Wars. I dislike Harry Potter. I dislike chocolate. I dislike marshmallows. I dislike grand crackers. What else don't I like that's really well loved? Dolphins. Dolphins. <laughs> just, just send us just messages dolphins. about this. Just be really mad. I don't like the entirety of Stephen Moffat's work. All of it. It's all garbage. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh yeah, I don't like it, but I like like this one. Or they're like, I really love it. But no, all of it's garbage. Fight me on it. Fair enough. Do you know what? Actually, okay. To be you fair. like Weeping, the first episode of The Weeping Angels? Yes. And and The Doctor Dances and that's it. Oh yeah, those are both good episodes. But I feel like that doesn't really count because he had someone like, it's not like he wrote it on his own. It, mm. it, it was very much like, 
there was a showrunner who like directed things and then he was allowed to write under that direction. That's fair. So he wasn't really like... It was like halfway his work. It was halfway his work. I feel like there's a lot of contributions of amazing work and I feel like that's... Anyways, do you know what we're not going to go into? Why Stephen <laughs> Moffat needs to have people overlooking him like he's a child. But and, yeah, I think this is all we have to talk about today. It, except for the fact that... Let's, what's more controversial opinions? Hyenas are misunderstood and you can fight me if you don't like them. Hyenas are objectively the best animal. I trust that. <laughs> what are, like... Yeah, no. I feel like I have so many hot takes. Captain America. Oh yeah, Captain America sucks. We've, we've had this discussion another time, though. Also, we... he was wrong. In Civil War, he was wrong. Yeah, that's real. Incorrect. Just blatantly incorrect. Like, not even debatable. I, I don't think there's a debate there. You're wrong. If you agree, I disagree. But also, it's not just an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, thank you, Laura. We're gonna be tolerant of your opinions, but they're not correct. They disagree with mine. Okay, no, I'll stop. Do you have anything else to tell our listeners today? If you love any of these things that I said I hated, I do see the merit of them. I like parts of all of these things. I just, as a whole, don't like them. So, please do add us. But at the same time... I don't actually hate your things. I don't want you to feel like I hate your things or to feel bad that you like the things that you like because I'm sure they're great. I like a lot of really crappy things. So like, I have no place to judge you. But Captain America's wrong. (laughs) Other than that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Um, is there anything else we have to close out on? I don't think so. You should check out our website, www.makingqueerhistory.com. And remember, history history is queerer than than you you think. think. We have always existed, and we are still here, telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear, we're taking the pen back into our own hands, we live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand, history is queerer than you think. step we're taking is history in the making. We hold our own future, we learn from the past. They've tried to remove our legacy, but we are built to last. So listen to the story. Cause they'll help us grow From Sappho to Frida Kahlo There's always more to know History is queerer than you think Yes, we will continue Yes, we will improve Making history is just what we do Yes, we will keep growing
Take it.